Welcome to the latest episode of Big and Robot Presents Entertaining Guest. This week we are proud to introduce you to our latest guest, uh, Mr. Matt Moylan. Mr. Moylan, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, welcome. Hey. Thanks for having me, guys. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for thanks for being here. We've been trying to get you on for a while now, so it's it's been it's uh it's been a good while. I'm glad we finally got you on though. Oh yeah, um, there's always something happening, work or convention or <laughs> right. something. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, glad, glad I finally get on. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, who are you, Mr. Moylan? What do you do? Uh, I am. Well, I do a ton of things, but mostly I'm known for being the director of publishing at Udon Entertainment, and uh, we do. We're mostly known for video game art books, video game comics, localizing manga from Japan. And we also do a lot of creative, creative services for other people. So we might actually work on video games or toys or other people's comics. Or oh, things right. like that. Oh, see, actually, I didn't even know that part. Okay, cool. Kind of been the way the company has best survived over the years. Because sometimes the publishing has been a little slow. So creative services picks up or the creative services is slow. And we, we do more books to keep everyone busy. Hasn't, hasn't been like that for some years. We've kind of been busy on both ends for, for a while now. So that, oh, okay. that's good. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of stuff. Well, cool. We'll have to, I think we'll have to dive into that a little bit deeper later on in the, in the interview, but yeah, let's, um, let's, let's talk more about you first. That is, that is kind of the thing we do here at entertaining guest is we're, we're trying to get a, get a feel for who you are and how you got to where you're at and all that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll talk about that later on though, for sure. Um, so let's start at the beginning. What was, uh, what was your family life like growing up? Like what kind of, did you come from a big family or are you an only child? Uh, no, I have a, I have a younger brother and sister and I grew up in a small town of 1500 people in Northern Ontario, which uh, I tell people how remote it is. It was a three hour drive to a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Oh um, no. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, yeah, the, the nearest like city was about a hundred thousand people. It's a three hour drive away. Okay. Um, otherwise it's just little community, like. 1,500, 2,000 person communities around Northern Ontario. Yeah, my dad worked for the railroad, um, like like grandfather and my great grandfather. <laughs> they all worked for the railroad. Really? Uh, yeah, doing different jobs. My dad's an electrician, so okay. Um, he has to like manage all the he had had to manage all the camps and things across like a nine hour territory of um, repairs and things like that. Well, Scott, um, if they're that far out, you'd have to work for the railroad. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> It's largely why the town exists. It's a logging town, so and it and the railway crosses there, so they oh, you know, yeah. became a town. I was actually going to ask you because I know that a lot of smaller towns in Canada are like uh, uh, farming communities and such and things like that, and logging, kind of a very um, uh, uh, agricultural based type stuff. So I was going to ask, is what that was that was your your community there was actually a logging town? That's pretty interesting, though. Huh. Yeah, um, I think it originally started because I had to do this history stuff when I was a kid, but originally it started as a fur trading post. Why the why the why the why they exist there, and then then the logging came in, and then yeah, railroad came in because of that, and so oh, it's it's called Long Lac, it's uh, which is French for Long Lake. If you can't figure it out, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe it's not comparable, but I instantly drew up visions of Twin Peaks, Matt, and I became instantly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> not as interesting, um, but it's a it's a cool town. It's like a a third. English people, a third French people, a third uh, First Nations people, native native people. We usually call them in the, in Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pretty diverse uh, group of people there, though. Yeah, 
and you know you got to go one town over to go to high school things like that really wow. actually a lot of the kids uh so it's a half hour to get there by bus or if you want to get up early you can take an hour and you can snowmobile to school which a lot of kids <laughs> would be that's winter. cool yeah did you uh did you ever do that <laughs> did you ride a snowmobile to school i didn't really my brother did it a lot okay but... <laughs> did, did kids have snowmobiles instead of motorcycles like if you're a cool kid you look i have a snowmobile oh absolutely yeah I, I, I've never known a kid with a motorcycle, but no, you got to have a, 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 a snowmobile or a skidoo, which is a brand name, but everyone just calls them skidoos. Oh, you mean a skidoo? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard somebody call it a skidoo before. I guess that would make sense, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay, no, that works. That works. As someone who's lived in Los Angeles his entire life, I have never heard of a skidoo, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very foreign concept to me. Oh, shit. But I know, it's fun. This is, a, this is a nice place to grow up, um, but everybody who lives there wants to move to Thunder Bay, which is that close city. And then everybody who lives in Thunder Bay wants to move to Toronto, which right. is the biggest, the biggest city in Canada. So everybody kind of wants to get out of wherever they are. Well, for sure. Yeah. Gotta, so that, so now I live in Toronto after going to uh, going to college in Thunder Bay, and then getting actually getting my first internship at a comic company. Here in Toronto, which was uh, Dreamwave Productions. Um, oh, I didn't realize Dreamwave was in Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we did. I, that, I, I, all I knew about I needed to do a whole semester of co-op placement. So all I knew I was like, I want to do something in Toronto, and I'm just on the Dreamwave website checking out like their comic news. Like, oh, these guys are in Toronto. Call them yeah. up and see if they need somebody. Well, before we get too deep into that, we're still doing. Let's let's do a little bit more building first. Let's let's. Uh, sure. We'll get to that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I might have a question. So. Yeah. When the teachers would ask young Matt, small Matt, child Matt, they would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you tell them? What did you think in your in your youthful <laughs> optimism before adulthood crushed your hopes? Well, I would have I would have told them all that I want to be a scientist. That was always my thing. Like, oh, nice. I want to be a scientist because scientists are cool in comics and cartoons and stuff. And they make all <laughs> kinds of inventions and things. So I want to do that. But uh, I guess it was more the like... More the things I was reading rather than what they were doing in it that I was more interested in. Yeah, I mean, some people say astronaut, but then they're like, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to be that. Maybe I don't want to go live in a metal tube for some months <laughs> away from all the things I love on my planet. Right. Can't play so, video games in outer space with other people. Well, you, you could, you could. I mean, you'd have, they'd have to also be on your space station or in your show. Well, but in yeah. any case, yeah. I feel like folks usually have some sort of idea of who someone is from whether they be their social the social media presence or media presence or what have you. But who would you say you really are? Like, um, would you say you're introverted or you're extroverted? Maybe were you a class clown or were you a bit of a loner? I mean, you, you were kind of getting onto that with talking about snowmobiles. And I guess maybe you didn't want to wear a leather jacket and ride snowmobiles. And I guess I, guess I was an introverted kid. Like, I was really into my toys and my and drawing and things like that that's weird as an adult i've become like it depends what group i'm in really uh like if i'm hanging out at a party of of couples i'm very introverted but if i'm like on stage in front of you know a couple hundred comic fans like oh i can talk to these people all day <laughs> <laughs> yeah these are my people they know me <laughs> yeah there you go um but yeah i think i was a oh, i guess i was a quiet kid Really into all that 80s stuff, because that's when I grew up. I was born in 1980, so I got to experience all the 80s. Into cartoons and uh, into video games. Sure, I, I never, uh, I, I was never without video games. My parents 
my parents always had video games. Like my oh, really? my did they, the, wait, they played or console. did they get them just for you? No, they got them for them. Like they got oh, originally really? like our first uh, the first console I played was the Intellivision. Was the Mattel in television, but it was really my parents in television <laughs> that I got old enough to play with. Nice. Um, what was your What was your favorite game on the television? I used to have one of those as well. Well, I remember the most Astro Smash because it just had the crazy sound effects and the the constant rather than music, it just had like the coach, 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 <laughs> like in the background the whole game. Right. And when you died, it was like traumatic. Like you exploded in the screen change color and right. like <laughs> give you an epileptic seizure from the flashing. Yeah. Do you like a, so, I think a, my favorite was Pitfall. I think out of all the Intellivision games, I had the most fun on Pitfall because it was the, the one game I was the most proficient at because I could actually jump across the, um, the crocodiles without getting bitten. So I was just like, I thought I was hot shit. <laughs> yeah, it's weirdly though, like I'm not not super nostalgic about like playing it like I am like say like NES games or something. Like, yeah, I'm weirdly not very nostalgic about playing those games, um, even though they're the first games I played. Like I'd I'd, I'd, I'd love to play. I'll play Mario Brothers one now. That's super fun, but but I wouldn't I'm not super interested in playing those old television <laughs> games. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of the same. Uh, you know, it's like they're they're neat and they have a they have a you know a special place. It's like, oh, these are my first kind of gaming experiences as far as video games were like. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that Nintendo became a brand and Mario became a brand thing. It became a it became this entity that you could kind of I don't want to say you could relate to, but you could like, oh, this is this is a thing. It's not just nameless guy jumping across crocodiles. You know, it's there. There became a yeah. lore. There became stories to it. So I thought I think that's pretty powerful as far as that goes. Yeah, I super remember getting uh, our NES for Christmas one year, and we were having Christmas at my grandmother's that year, who didn't have a color television; she okay. just had a black and white. So for the first like Christmas, we played me and my brother and sister played Mary Brothers One on a black and white TV. Yeah, and then when we got home, like, oh, this is even more amazing. It's in color. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> oh man, that's great. How many like uh, you, so your parents were were they they were pretty big gamers though? Uh, I wouldn't say they were big gamers, but they they definitely you know it was a thing for them. It wasn't like like they're buying us these crazy video games that the kids are playing, right? Sort of a thing, but yeah, I like definitely I remember like it was like I said it was it was their television system, and I definitely remember my dad like trying out some NES games here and there. I don't think yeah. I don't think I really do any more anything more than like cell phone games. <laughs> oh, okay. But were that were they gamers in any other capacity, or was it just the was it just the Intellivision and the Nintendo? Yeah, I think really just that, just they got the Intellivision to play with each other, and then just my dad stuck around a bit for to play uh, hmm. to play some NES. Okay. He's kind of a geeky guy in his own right. He's really into science fiction novels. Oh, okay. So, well, that that's kind of what I was working my way towards. Was there any? Was there any? Um one of the questions we wanted to ask is like, was there anything that precipitated your, your love for the, the, the kind of work that you do now, as far as like comics and things like that. And that, that kind of fits into it. If, if like, was, did your dad kind of in like, not inspire you, but kind of set you down that path a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember he always had a bookshelf of, it's probably only like a hundred sci-fi novels, but to me, it's like, my dad has a library. He has like an incredible <laughs> amount of books. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> but, uh, uh, with all these crazy covers with creatures and spaceships and stuff, and uh, uh, it's kind—I of, guess it's kind of—even though I didn't know that at the time—it was my first exposure to like getting a collection and 
Like now, like a hundred books. Like I look around my office, like that's like <laughs> child's play. Hundred books, bah. <laughs> I've worked on more books than that. <laughs> oh, dang. yeah, there um, you go. It's yeah, it's kind of some some of the origins of of uh, getting into this fantasy world or sci-fi world or things like that. Did um well speaking specifically about uh, comics, did you read a lot of comics growing up, or were you more just a regular book reader? Yeah, uh, definitely. Once I got into you know, at least by the time I was 10 or so, I was, I was reading some comics. I, I don't remember the very first for sure thing, but the earliest comics I remember owning are uh, like a random issue of, oh, it wasn't Amazing Spider-Man. I think it was, I think it was oh, Spectacular Spider-Man. I think that's what it was. Uh, it was an issue where Spider-Man had the powers of Captain Universe for some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't know the story beforehand. I don't right. know how he got these powers, right. but, but he just had them and he... He fought like Rhino and Hydro Man and Shocker all in the same issue, and Doctor Doom was in it and had an evil robot. I didn't know who he was either. Uh, <laughs> but, was it a uh, random Doom bot or was it a specific kind of robot? It was. Oh, I forget. I think it, it was. It wasn't a Doom bot. It was like a big white robot with claws, and I think it might have been Alien, and it fought Spider Man, and Doctor Doom picked it up at the end to okay. like use for another scheme. Um, <laughs> But that was like a, the earliest comic member owning. But the, the earliest series I bought was, uh, or that I owned was the the Archie Ninja Turtles comics. They're started off based on the cartoon, and then they kind of went off into their own direction. Archie and Ninja yeah. Turtles. Oh Wait, yeah, is this an Archie Ninja Turtles crossover? Or are you talking about the East? No, no, Archie. Comics? Archie published so so Mirage published the original Turtles comics in the eighties, like the, ah. the the ones that are everything is based on. Okay. And then after the TV show came out, Archie got the license to do shows based on the TV show, or sorry, comics based on the oh, TV show. okay. Right. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they did about three or four issues that were just adaptations of the of episodes, and then they went in their whole own direction, which uh, ended up being actually a lot about environmental issues, uh, <laughs> like, like that. Like Captain Planet, kind of thing? Yeah. It wasn't so heavy-handed, but uh-huh. uh, like they, they did an episode about, they met some... There was a whole world tour like storyline where they, they uh, they went so they 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 got lost in Dimension X and they got transported back to Earth, but they didn't end up in New York. They were like in South America, okay. so they had to get home. So they they, they met like a South trip. American tribe and talked about them losing their forests and things okay. like that. Or they uh, they traveled back over the ocean and fought some fish poachers or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically, was Captain Planet, but like yeah. But I, yeah, a little, didn't, little more low key. Yeah, but that was the first series I ended up collecting, and then eventually I bought myself a random issue of X Men, like in the in the end of the Jimmy Jim Lee era. Yeah, and that really got me into like, oh, there's like grown up comics. So I was probably <laughs> probably eleven or twelve when that came out. Uh-huh. Um, and I got you know I started buying a few a few X Men comics here and there, and then when X X-Men did their Age of Apocalypse crossover, oh. which was, you know, I, I'd, I'd hardly hardly gotten into the X-Men universe at that point. I know a bit about it, but then they changed everything to an alternate timeline. And But I I, I bought every, like, crossover comic yeah. of that that big crossover. And so at that point, I was a collector rather than somebody who read yeah, some we, comics. We've, we've talked about this before over Twitter <laughs> in the past. Or, or, uh, oh, God, I love Age of Apocalypse. I think it's... To, frankly, I think it's the best story that Marvel's ever made. I think it is absolutely yeah, well, brilliant. Since then, they've spent every effort trying to recreate it. Yeah, even oh, like absolutely. right away, they they tried to instantly recreate it in Spider-Man with the 
I think it was Maximum Clonage. Yeah, was oh. the big mega crossover, and uh, they they so basically every event because Age of Apocalypse was so successful. Every event since then has been them trying to just recreate that success. Yeah, trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again. Yep. Yeah. So another thing we like to ask a lot of people on entertaining guests is kind of the lame jobs they've had or jobs they didn't really care about. So far, every every person we've had on is usually pretty well established. And I, I, I like for our listeners to be able to get a little bit of, I guess you could say, a respite from maybe jobs they don't particularly care for and are hopefully trying to strive for more. So what are some what are some some jobs that, that you know weren't your dream job but and maybe you hated them or maybe maybe you didn't hate them. Maybe they were just complete goofballs and there was something about it that you actually liked. I've been pretty lucky since I since I've been out of college, actually, like I said, my last my last semester of, of college was placement at a comic book company. I've been in the industry mm. since then. Um, but when I was younger, well, how about before that though, like before, yeah, when I was like a teenager, like school, um, yeah. I did a few things. I had a a job being the uh, basically the internet person at the library, <laughs> teaching senior citizens how to use the internet, and this is like. In the mid '90s. Oh, so you were that um, helpful young man on the VHS tapes that were teaching older people how to use the internet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, that's so nice. So <laughs> it was a it was a job that the government had created for for uh, for teenagers and in, in small communities. So there'd be like one of me, like in every little town, like a person like me, like really? a kid like me. I just I just remember doing things like teaching senior citizens like how to read how to go check the news or don't i specifically remember uh showing someone how to or what, what was the latest information on on, on uh the royals like how do we find <laughs> out about the royals like okay we go here to this news website wait did you did you send them to what was it at the time i guess it would have been like alta vista or netscape yeah there's alta vista netscape netscape Ask was a browser uh web crawler yeah, Ask Jeeves was one of them back then, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. people actually still used Yahoo. Oh, God. Um, that, oh, yeah, Yahoo. I've, oh, jeez. <laughs> I forgot Yahoo actually used to be a search engine kind of thing. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> God, that was ages ago. Wow. So, I mean, I did that. It was kind of a – it was just boring because <laughs> a lot of the time I would just if, – if there wasn't someone to help, I'd just be there, and they'd just say, well, just help improve the website. Think of ways to f- improve our library website. Okay. <laughs> would you would you go find a corner to sneak off into and just be drawing? Oh, sometimes for sure. <laughs> That's um, what I'd be trying to do. I'd, I'd be ducking. I'd be ducking the library and be like, "I'm gonna draw." I mean, I'm totally working on designs for the website. <laughs> uh, I did that, and I did uh, a couple years later. I guess it was. Uh, I think it was a summer a summer job when I was uh, just before I went to college. Was I would build. I worked for this local guy who had a website business making websites for all the little local businesses. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so he would hire me and, and I'd design the website for these companies, like for, uh, you know, the local pizzeria or <laughs> like mom pop shops. And is there, we didn't really have a, I didn't have like a wage. He'd just be like, I'd, I'd design a website and he, and my boss would come and just say, Oh, that's great. How about here's 150 bucks? Okay. <laughs> or, or, or after a couple of weeks, like, oh, you've done three websites. Here's here's like $300. That sounds good. 
okay, cool. <laughs> I bet at the time that seemed like you're you're just like, God, I'm fleecing this nerd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, holy shit, three hundred dollars. I've never thought I don't have this kind of money. Hey. I remember too, I learned uh HTML, like the basic web language by uh we were on a we went on a family trip and I I bought a book about HTML and I read it on the car ride home. So like a, it was like a nine or 10 hour car ride home. So mm. I read how to build websites for like 10 hours right, right. <laughs> and, and like how to code right. without actually being able to code. And I figured I had it be... down by the time I got home. But... Oh, oh, so it actually <laughs> stuck then. It actually worked. Okay. Uh, a lot of it, but yeah, it was kind of funny that I wouldn't even think of like, if I was, I don't know, I want, if I wanted to learn uh, unity or something, I wouldn't even think of, buying a book <laughs> nowadays. Well, yeah, I mean, the idea is research. kind of antiquated at this point, yeah. So yeah. Do, were there any spinning gifts or, or visitors? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, for sure. Nice. Um, I, may, I remember making, well, for that, I also made the, the website for the actual company that was selling the websites. Oh, damn. I remember I made some kind of, uh, their, like, header was, like, an animated Northern Lights because that's what's up there. I can't remember. Right, it's I'm trying to remember what the name of the company was. It was something to do with Northern Lights. It was like Aurora Web Design or something like that. Okay, yeah. there you go. Um, nice. All right, well. Well, hold on. Actually, one last question. One last question. Yeah. Was there music that would load with the page? Oh, God. Yes. Uh, oh, I knew the, it. It was, I a knew it. Mid, it was a MIDI version of, of MIDI. the theme from Northern Exposure. There you go. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. Apologies for being so loud. But... <laughs> oh God, that's just. Uh, of course, it would be. Why? That is for... some. Yeah. That is some classic web design. There you go. And for those that don't know, uh, Northern Exposure was a, a television show, um, in in the way back when, before some of you were probably born, and uh, it was where was it? I don't even remember where it was. Um... It was about Alaska. It was about Alaska. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, It was about like a a New York doctor who got sent to Alaska to, because of his his student loans, they got to control, I think where he, where he went. Right. (laughs) And he's kind of very typical New York. I think he was, uh, he was kind of very typical Jewish kind of like. uh, Yeah. His name was Fleischman. Fleischman. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Most Jewish name ever. (laughs) And now, and the girl from the show would later go on to do, uh, TV commercials for dry eyes things for this for these, <laughs> <laughs> sorry total fucking weird tangent there but yeah she did these commercials because she had chronic dry eyes and there was this solution that you ask that your doctor harmonica. what's that <laughs> there's a harmonica in the opening of the, of the theme isn't there oh yeah northern exposure it was actually a pretty funny show I actually liked it it was kind of like I guess you know what I would kind of equate it to I'd I I would almost say it would be a comic a comedy version of um of uh of Jesus Christ Lynch's show, fucking yeah Twin Peaks Twin Peaks yeah, it was uh, like if you did the tw- the polar opposite of Twin Peaks that's what Northern uh, Exposure would be, kind of like, so, but anyway I'm, now I'm trying to imagine a MIDI version of a harmonica now <laughs> and it's kind of hard for me to envision I'm gonna I'm probably gonna have to go look for that after this interview. <laughs> But no, yeah, I thought it was appropriate at the time. There you go. Well, yeah, yeah, that's why I said classic web design. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I ain't even gonna give you, give you static for it for its time. That, that is the correct aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before, before things like um, copyright and all that kind of thing came into play on the internet when it was still kind of wild, wild west. 
Like, now if you did that, you'd fucking get a DMCA or something slapped on you for using the music or some shit like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So so you didn't take any buses to the nearest McDonald's, which is far, far away, to do your part-time job? No, I never had, like, a service, a real service job in food or anything. I mean, our town our town didn't have any franchises. After I moved away, <laughs> we got a, a a KFC Pizza Hut Express oh. in town, and it was owned by the mayor. <laughs> oh wow so you had a kentucky fried pizza bell congratulations yeah so <laughs> I, I like that you said it was owned by the mayor the mayor's like my people need fast food <laughs> yeah <laughs> my people need fast food i will i will get them fried chicken and pizza it's my and, personal mission and taco bell don't forget taco bell's there too oh wait so it, there was a taco bell in it there was, too? no it was just it was just kfc pizza Hut. Yeah, it was oh just was KFC it pizza. oh okay yeah. well, the ones i've seen have all been kentucky fried Kentucky Fried Taco Hut, basically, and it's had all three. It's had bits of little bits of each of them. So, oh wow, you guys got shafted. I'm sorry, you didn't get the full experience. No, Scott. <laughs> Let no, me have Scott. a burrito, that was, that was piece of chicken. Gubernatorial a... mission. Yeah, Make sure people had fried chicken yep. pizza and pizza. Yeah. Uh, Taco Bells are pretty rare in Canada. There's there's some of them, but yeah, yeah I don't see them very often. Okay, right on. Well, there's that then. But at least you, I mean, you got two out of three. That ain't bad, right? You know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so, all right. The next, the next question is this: for for folks that don't know, you do a um, you do a uh, a comic strip. You've done actually. That was the first time I actually saw any of your work. Was your uh, Little Formers, or Lil Formers, as it were? Um, oh yeah, yeah. So well, that's something that grew out of my first job at Dreamwave Productions because we did the Transformers comics, and then after the company went under, after I was, I'd worked there for about three years. Um, I had all this Transformers knowledge in my head, I had, and I had started drawing kind of chibi robots for fun and making little, you know, making them say little comments and stuff. And right. people on Transformers forums seemed to like it, so I kept drawing them, and eventually it became like an ongoing web comic. Yeah, I'd make fun of Transformers, and then <laughs> after a while, I got sick of just Transformers, so it became you know all pop culture stuff like most web comics. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, art-wise, it's the thing I'm known for now is drawing little super deformed chibi transformers. Yeah, um, yeah. I've done a few things for Hasbro or for IDW or uh, you know licensors, things like that over the years. So that's mm-hmm. been fun. Well, was well, let me ask you this then, because the way the way you you rephrase it, what you were just saying was what you got all this transformers knowledge from when you're working for Dreamwave. Was Transformers something that, like, when you were growing up, was that a big deal for you? Or was that something that came in? Uh, yeah, it was one of the things. I mean, I remember, this is the first thing I remember asking Santa Claus for, was a Transformer. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I don't know quite how I knew what they were, because I didn't have any of them. Right. But maybe, maybe I watched the show. But I remember asking, I remember in uh, in kindergarten, we all, we made, like, on a big, one of those giant flip-over writing pads. We all made a list of, like, ask Santa Claus for one thing, and I said a Transformer. And then I got one on, on Christmas, <laughs> and I was amazed. Well, okay, um, which one was it? I got to know. It was a G1 Sunstreaker. Oh, like really? Lamborghini. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I know. That's like that's a very that's a very rare Generation 1 figure. It's like it's very unusual to get that one. Wow. I mean, well, in my mind it is anyway. But, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> but, wow, good start. Yeah, I, 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 so I had some Transformers, and I had some GoBots. Um, I didn't super know the difference toy wise, you know, because mm-hmm. um, go go bots get a lot of flack, but the to- or, the toys are pretty cool. <laughs> pretty we'll cool we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, 
so uh so i definitely had some transformers when i was a kid and uh at uh, dreamwave i actually became because i kind of i'm really good at just delving into a property and knowing learning everything about it mm-hmm. so even though i started at dreamwave as the as a web design guy i eventually became the like transformers nerd guy i knew where to i put all the logos on everybody's shoulders because i knew where they go and i i'd say <laughs> things like oh Ultra Magnus has gold eyes. He does. I know most of the Autobots have have yellow, have blue eyes, but uh-huh. Ultra Magnus has gold. Okay. And Starscream's face is a little bit different color than the other two Seekers. Right. Like things like that. God, remember those days when there were only three Seekers? Wow, those were the Halcyon days. Yeah. That was oh, an man. armada. Yeah. So did um did you uh did you sit around like uh, perusing the the Marvel the Transformers universe like the you know the books the four, the set of four books that broke down all the characters were you constantly looking at those like with their bios uh, and we kind of stuck to visually we, we stuck to the toys is when uh, at dreamwave um it's like a you know so, uh, obviously not all the time kind of mix up the toys and the cartoon because mm-hmm. guys like prowl and ironhide don't have heads in the toy so oh yeah <laughs> things it's like a little, that yeah it's a little bit hard to draw them like that yeah yeah um but you know it's it finding things like that actually there's one instance where I went away for a week and someone didn't catch something that I would have caught and they pulped a whole run of one of the Transformers issues. Really? Yeah. Um, oh. So there was a point where the Red Cross sued, uh, I don't, I don't want to say sued, but they took legal action against Hasbro for mm-hmm. putting Red Crosses on on their oh, toys, on any no. of their like medical Transformers. Right. Uh, uh, and uh, because... Like so the thing, the Red Cross has like to be that. able to control their their symbol, so people know that this is a real Red Cross, right. whatever. Especially in like a war zone or something like that. But uh, anyway, so Hasbro like comply, like yeah, we won't use Red Crosses anymore. Oh. Uh, it's just a big mistake. But so that went back even back to old characters like Ratchet, who is an right. ambulance and has Red Crosses on his shoulders, or some of the so, bots. Yeah, so we changed it instead. It just became like a white cross on a red background. It's easy enough. Oh, but okay. there's an issue where yeah i was away for a week and and nobody caught that so i come home i come back and uh open up the like advanced copy and like uh this is wrong like, oh <laughs> shit this is gonna get us in trouble so we asked hasbro like can we get away with this is this okay we already printed it uh we know we we're supposed to ask your approval first but we printed it anyway and they right. said no no you can't you can't print that you can't sell this sorry you're gonna have to reprint it okay so now the next logical question here as a collector as somebody who likes you know fancy things did you save any of those squirrel any of those away i don't have any well i i don't have any of my like early g1 toys only g1 oh, toy toys i still the, have the, the comic the one that you oh, had the comic had scrap yeah did you save any of those oh uh no i don't it was actually it it wasn't even finished it was a unbound early sample oh, so, so it hadn't gone fold. to final print then oh they okay. were print they were printed but they were not stapled together oh okay okay gotcha. stapled and cut um because that could so, be that could be a hell of a collector's item right there you know yeah uh but yeah i should i guess I, I wasn't thinking that far ahead i do have a <laughs> i have a couple things that are weird like that though that didn't see print like i have mm-hmm. uh we did a so dreamwave did a drew struzan art book oh really uh, yeah, it was like his first art book. Oh, I don't know okay. how we got the license for that. Yeah, <laughs> it was way that's... too big of a deal for us. And yeah, that's a big deal right there. Yeah, yeah. We, we bit off more than we could chew. But <laughs> uh, 
so we laid out the whole book and uh, and we we uh, sent it to the printer for them to do some testing and we also sent it to Drew for him to approve and he basically like rejected the whole book really? and we, we started over with we hired his son who is a graphic designer which I don't know why I didn't suggest him in the first place like right. design the book of my life <laughs> um, so we, we restarted over with his son as the graphic designer but the the printer who we sent just to do some sample print tests they actually started printing the book by mistake oh shit. um so they printed like 200 copies of the bad version mm. uh and because all the content was the same even though he, he um drew wasn't happy with the the layout and uh organization and some of the colors were off but the content was really similar so we decided to bring those to the office and use them for uh, reviewer copies, like just to, as a, a preview of what was coming. Okay. So it's this big, you know, 250 page hardcover. Oh, wow. It's, it's one of the biggest book. like physically it's one of the biggest size books I own. I don't know how big it is, like 12 or 13 inches tall. And, um, and, uh, of those 200 copies that got accidentally printed, most of them actually got damaged shipping from overseas. Oh God. Uh, so I, but I've got a copy that's undamaged myself. This rare early edition of the Drewsters and Art book that mm-hmm. never went, never saw print. Right. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's. Pretty I guess cool. I'll hold that off for another ten or fifteen years until <laughs> he's no longer with us. And I, yeah. I can sell it off, or, or until the bottom falls out and you need to make a house payment, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. I'm not wishing that on you, obviously, but you know. <laughs> Um, I, I, okay, well let's, let's get into, let's get into the inspiration of kind of what got you into comics. What were, what were some of the things that actually, or who were some of the artists or the writers or, or just things about comics that got you interested in them in the first place? Like what, what was your motivation to start moving in that direction? Uh, well, I said it was, I mean, I went to, I went to, I'll tell you my inspirations, but I went to college thinking I was going to be a interactive designer, like went for, for multimedia production, which was, uh, they teach you a little bit about everything digital. So about video, about web design, about uh, 3D animation, um, with the hopes that you'll be a project manager managing these types of projects. And I thought I was going to end up designing uh, interactive business cards. <laughs> I, like, oh, that'd be so cool to be doing that for a job. <laughs> um, which was... A big thing at the time what is an interactive uh, business card what is that um or like well for not for, for like your business um you know you give it, w- it was a thing for a while you give people like a little cd like instead of a business card you give them a little cd and oh. had like a little interactive thing about your company on it right like a little uh, 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 uh a reel basically yeah it was like a website on a disc um so that's what i thought i was gonna end up doing and i did kind of start that way by getting my first job at dreamwave as the website developer but you know i really quickly moved into like okay designing ads for the comics and now putting together the trade paperbacks and uh so i kind of even though i was interested in all that stuff i i didn't go after a job working on comics some of the some of the people that really influenced me like i was really like my my favorite guys were the late 90s guys the late late 90s cliffhanger guys which was a Oh, sub studio yeah. of Wildstorm, sub studio of Image, but guys like uh, J. Scott Campbell and Umberto Ramos, yeah. and Joe Madureira, the really flashy, cartoony artists. Well, I mean, um, it's hard not to gravitate towards that kind of stuff because they were such a departure from what comics had been before them. 
I mean, it was it was a pretty big it was a pretty big shift artistically, I think, from what we'd seen prior. So yeah, I, I, I was the same way. Like when they came out, when Matarera came out and really started kind of like brushing up what he was doing, and the new coloring techniques started coming in with the digital color, it was just like holy. Oh, yeah, guys wow. like Liquid doing yeah. colors. And... Oh my gosh, man, that was huge. That was huge. That changed the industry. Like that was just. That was massive. Anyway, but yeah, please continue. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a start. Well, <laughs> yeah, this but, this isn't mean, about me. This is about you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, guys like that, more like Chris Chris Bacalo. Oh, yeah. Um, he's in the same same group or uh, Adam Warren. Oh, God. Uh, he, was doing, he was doing Dirty Pair at the time. Weird, he, uh, Adam Warren is a really interesting guy to look at his career because he, he, you can really watch him evolve really fast, like from straight up retro anime style like old school anime manga to like building up his own really cartoony style with like the pouty lips and big eyes and right yeah like uh, when he did the was it magical dream uh roxy or whatever it was for the the uh yeah books like from the yeah uh, the gen 13 spinoff book that was great yeah Yeah, that was that was yeah that was like when that was when he started really kind of developing and kind of making his own thing yeah for sure yeah so all these all these really flashy guys uh carlos pacheco was my favorite artist oh, he was so good on fantastic uh, four when he did that run yeah oh, he's a so little cool. more traditional yeah uh in terms of his proportions and layouts and things but but just just such great rendering yeah um draws awesome hands now i don't know how much of that in the end was him and how much was his inker jesus marino because once he lost once they they parted ways and jesus started becoming an artist on his own uh i'd really i'd kind of lost interest in Pacheco's work. And these, right. like a lot of artists these days, I'm not, I can't even really recognize his stuff. Um, it, it does kind of blend, just... but at the time though, it, it stood out. Cause I really liked his really oh, yeah. fantastic four, but I think you're, I think you're right about the inking thing though, for sure. Because uh, his, his inker, the, the way he, his line width and just the, the way he laid down the inks just was, it really made those, it made Pacheco's stuff just pop. I think it, it really yeah. added dimension to it. Yeah, my fav- my favorite storyline, even more than Age of Apocalypse, was uh, one called Avengers Forever, which Pacheco mm-hmm. drew. Yeah, which was Kurt Busiek wrote it, and it was it, it was weird as a miniseries with like a goal of fixing Avengers continuity, <laughs> right? Like uh, because of all the mistakes that had cropped up over the years. So he made this big time travel story where all of the mistakes now made sense. Things like like at one point Hank Pym had said the origin of the vision the vision at one point he said he's he's like an original thing that ultron built and another time he said he was a a rebuilt version of uh, an old character called the the android version of the human torch mm-hmm. and so like in different storylines they had said this so he used right. some time travel stuff to make both of those sort of true but it was a really cool and and, and uh, every issue was full of footnotes at the end there's a whole page of tiny type footnotes about this is a reference to avengers number 165 and uh-huh. uh, it was such a cool, besides being a fun story, it was a cool bit of like going through comic history. I mean, you've, you've unfortunately mentioned uh, a host of names that I don't recognize. Thankfully, Scott recognizes. <laughs> um, but did you ever get a chance to work with any of these people or anyone else that you looked up to? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've gotten to work on a few Joe Maderera projects, which is great. Um, he did some covers for Udon before I worked here, uh, but... Since since then, uh, since he moved over to video games, I got to do the layouts, the art books for his two Darksiders games, which are like, if anybody doesn't know, they're like dark versions of Zelda, pretty much. 
that's yeah. what the, the games are. So that's great. Get to lay out one of my favorite artist art books and uh, I'm actually working on uh, his Battle Chasers art book right now for the new video game. Wait, is the game out yet? Or is it still in beta? It's not out yet. It's still in beta. It's okay. in the fall sometime is when it's going to be. Yeah, I've gotten to hire Adam Warren to do a few covers and write a story for us. So that's really cool. And Adam comes and hangs out at the Udon booth a lot of the time in uh, San Diego. So, are there any people? Are there any people that you haven't gotten to work with that you really that it's kind of like bucket list kind of stuff that you're like maybe even pursuing working with? Uh, I'd love to get Umberto Ramos to do a cover for us sometime. There you go. That'd be great. That would he's, be great. In the cliffhanger <laughs> days, he was kind of the underdog. Like like you know, he was popular, but he was the less popular of the three guys that that started the company, but ended up being the guy who worked the hardest. Because right. while the, the other two cliffhanger series did like seven or eight issues over two like years. five years. Well, okay, yeah, more like five years. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I think Danger Girl took like two years to come out and Battle Chasers came out over several years. Oh, yeah. But uh, Umberto Ramos produced like 40 comics. Yeah, for <laughs> Like he did something every month. Yeah. Like, he did 30, -ish, 30 or so issues of, uh, of Crimson, his vampire story. Yeah. And then he that did was another. A great book too. Really yeah, was a great it was book. excellent. And they did another, I think, twenty issues of Out There, yeah. which was like a kids running into demons. I think something like that. It's like a little bit Buffy, a little bit I don't a little know, bit Runaways ish. So yeah, he's a hard worker, and I'd love to get him to do a, a Street Fighter cover or something like that. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Actually, I'd love to see that. All right, so let's let's talk about your schooling. You've you've alluded to what you've done, so it's we can kind of breeze through most of the schooling stuff, <laughs> the schooling questions. So you went to school and you're doing like multimedia stuff. Did you actually graduate, or did you start working? Did you jump into comics early and 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 uh, do that sort of thing, like a lot of people? Yeah, so I did a three year. It was a three year course at Confederation College in Thunder Bay called multimedia production. They, I think they might call it something else now, like um, like new media. Okay. I'm pretty sure they would call it something else. I don't. I've people don't really use the term multimedia anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, we'd 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 have like uh, of the like eight classes in the semester, we'd have like a 3D animation class and a web programming class and uh, interactive development and a a video production class. Yeah. And so we'd learn a little bit about everything. And uh, in the last semester, or so the. Yeah, the, the last semester, the last year was a full semester of co-op placement. So you had to find a place that would that would let you work there, either paid or for free. Okay. Um, it's funny, I, I kind of think, like I had a girlfriend at the time, and I, I asked my uh, program coordinator, like, I, I really don't know if I want to leave my girlfriend to go to a big city. Like, could I have a really good career and, like, staying in here in Thunder Bay, like, trying to do it? And he's like, I wouldn't. <laughs> 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 Oh, um man. this is a guy oh, who lives awesome. there and works there in thunder bay it's like right. no he'd, like you'd be passing up an opportunity if you just don't want to be away from your girlfriend for four months right <laughs> um, no that's some good advice though that really is some good advice i wish i would yeah. give myself that same advice back then actually because I, <laughs> I, I had a chance to potentially work at toy fair uh, wizards toy magazine spinoff and i oh and i, and I fucked it great. up because of a girlfriend oh man <laughs> A better magazine than Wizard. <laughs> a better, yeah, actually, it was. It was a great magazine. Yeah. Oh, man. I was just browsing the Udon, or sorry, the uh, Dreamwave website for news, right? And found oh, they're in Toronto because I knew. So I don't know why I had this in my head, but um, I knew that most of the people that worked there were Asian, right? Um, so I just figured they they were based in Vancouver. 
because it's like, well, that's closer to Asia and Asian people <laughs> living in Canada. They must live in Vancouver. <laughs> well, you, you know what? That's that's the funny thing, though. Not a lot of people know this, but there's a pretty high population of Asian folks in Canada. This is something oh, I yeah. wasn't aware of, but it is. It's a thing. I was like, really? Yeah, north of Toronto, um, there's a suburb called Markham, which is like a, it's an Asian suburb. It's uh-huh. huge. Um, I think a lot of that comes from uh, back when our current prime minister, when his dad was prime minister, Trudeau. I don't, I don't know the exact details, but he did some sort of he, he, he did an official statement or arrangement where he said anybody who lives in Hong Kong uh, in like 15, 20 years, China's going to own you again. Um, oh, when they did the they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're an English colony. So right. anybody who wants to come to Canada, just come. If oh, you're worried wow. about anything, just come. Really? <laughs> so That's it was really, really easy. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah, this was, it was I don't know. It was exactly that easy but it was he basically made it easy for people from hong kong to come to right Canada. he gave them a way out basically and the end it wasn't i don't think it was a big change i know there's there's problems there but i don't think it was like it didn't become didn't become mainland china right. <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah but. yeah yeah this is just a real quick thing with with you how important was i i know a lot of people get into comics do it uh very kind of like grassrootsy it's like they just draw 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 um, how important was college to you in getting you where you were? Was it was it in uh, was it something that you found like like was that that was that the proper route for you to go? Because I know a lot of times I'll tell people like uh, my best advice is to get an internship, uh, try and like actually work and learn on the job kind of thing. Um, so how important was college for you to get to where you are right now? Well, it it got I mean it got me my my first internship like I said and everything led from that um but uh like i'm not sure if they would have hired me if i was just a uh some some person just said i just want an internship i mean I, although <laughs> i do remember at the time we did have also high school interns okay uh so they did it as part of one of their courses and this um, is a Dreamwave, right yeah Dreamwave. okay so we did have some high we you know usually had like one or two high school interns who would uh uh help out the artists uh they'd be doing Usually they'd be erasing uh, pencils, so <laughs> Don't clean you'd up uh, ap- uh, yeah. After you do the inking, you go and erase the pencils just so they don't scan in mm. like any stray pencil lines and things. So, or they and and then they do that for a bit, and then they they draw in the bull in the bullpen, and the artist might give them some advice. But uh, for myself, it's not like going to college. You didn't really learn a lot of working knowledge that's specifically useful. Like you know, some things about graphic design and things that I could have learned on my own, but it was more about uh, a stepping stone to the real world. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, like whether you pass or fail is like, they're not like, if you show up, you can show up to class or you can't, <laughs> if you don't right. show up to class, then you don't pass. And uh, it's not, it's not like in high school where they're, you know, if you don't show up to class, your teachers are on you and your parents are on you. And yeah. so it's a bit of more of the real world um, working with different people that you, you know, haven't gone to high school and elementary school with for years and years, like working with new people who have different ideas, mostly uh, learning, basically having the skills to uh, learning the skills to learn. Like that's mostly what they, they taught us, like how to, how do I want to say like how to, if, if you don't know something, you can look it up. 
or you can find the resources or you can if you 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 don't have to learn how to do everything you can leverage the tools so if you if you need a uh, for a website for example if you need a mail form you don't have to know how to make a mail form you can find out someone who already made one and buy it or maybe it's free there's a free version or <laughs> things like that okay um so yeah leveraging the tools was one of the big things they always taught us like find find someone who's done it or find someone to do it for you but so for me, yeah, it was not a lot of specific knowledge, but just experience of working with people and, and learning how to learning how to learn and learning how to find information. Okay. So uh, how long did you end up working at Dreamwave for? Uh, I worked there for three years, which is as long as the company lasted after I started working there. Okay. Uh, so you're saying that you were the reason that they failed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Only, only ninety nine percent. Okay, there's that, there's that little bit of wiggle room there. No, I yeah. Um, no, the cut. Well, what happened was, Dreamwave was a small image studio, at first, and then uh, they published, you know, anime influenced comics, right. influenced in quotation marks because some of them were direct rip off of things. But... Oh yeah, like the uh, <laughs> um, the Ghost in the Shell book. I forget what it was called right offhand. I still have all uh, Dark Minds. Dark oh, I can Minds. go through all. Oh, yeah, I can go I through Dark all Minds. their comics. Dark yeah. Minds was Ghost in the Shell. Oh yeah. Warlands was Record of Lotus War. Right. right down to some of the characters from Record of Lotus War were in in. <laughs> <Warlands>. <laughs> yeah, there's the uh, the wizard, the main wizard guy. He's just his design was just used as the wizard in Warlands. Uh, Neon Cyber was Akira. Oh yeah, uh, I forgot about yeah. Neon. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Read a book called Shidima, which was Ninja Scroll. It's basically anything that at the time that you might see as a DVD in a right. store that actually made it over to North America was a Dreamwave comic. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, they got they ended up getting the license for Transformers just before, like they were negotiating it while I was asking if I could be an intern, mm-hmm. which which was kind of a cool coincidence. Right. Um, so once I started working there, they were in a, in, a, in January of like 2002. They they were just finishing up the first issue, so that was pretty cool. What what the so and it, and it was super successful. Oh my god! It was the like the first issue of Transformers was the number one book on the Diamond Top 300 books, and it was stayed that way for all six issues of the first new yeah. series. Well, there hadn't even been a non uh, top four publishers. A book in the top 10 for like seven years before that right it was like an x-files comic made it in the top 10 so this upstart publisher was number one for six months except oh uh the one issue that wasn't number one was beaten by a second transformer series by, <laughs> by dreamwave and they were great looking um, books too the covers were fantastic the coloring was great everything about those books looked fantastic yeah I it was it. I was so especially stoked. for the time it was a big it was a big step up versus a lot of things, I think. Um, yeah, not sure. everybody liked it because at the beginning, they weren't as geeky as, as the diehard Transformers fans mm-hmm. would have wanted. Like, not all the characters really had the right voice, uh, things like that. But that, you know, that changed as as things went on and they find out what the fans wanted more. Right. But uh, Dreamwave was kind of, the high ups kind of got a bit full of themselves after that success and figured, well, if we, if we, we do this one book and it, sells a hundred thousand copies if we do 10 books it'll we'll sell a million comics oh God. <laughs> and <laughs> everything will math. be as successful yeah yeah exactly who cares so if planning for that bad. let's move to a new office where the rent is 10 times as much oh. um and we'll custom design it and uh so of course everything you know transformers sales 
slowly evened out to about half of what they were and then about a quarter of what they were. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's other reasons for that. I think people didn't like the later stories as much as well, but, but uh, some of that's going to happen anyway. And then uh, anything else they launched besides Transformers was just not a hit. We, we tried doing, we did a Ninja Turtle show, a comic based on the show at the time. We did uh, Duel Masters, which was like supposed to be a Pokemon competitor, which never right. really took off. And, and the worst was like the anything original that Dreamwave published. They were not happy with the sales. And they usually they didn't have any foresight, but they would cancel books like it's a six issue miniseries. Oh, it's not selling. Let's cancel it after issue four. Like, <laughs> well, now you don't have a trade paperback that you can make or anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you just pissed off your fan base because they've only got half of their meal, basically. Yeah. Um, and they lose trust in you about anything new that you want to try. Like, well, yeah, if yeah. You, they're just never going to finish it. So why am I going to try? Right. Uh, no, I remember that. I remember that kind of stuff. Check yeah. it out. So yeah, the company got behind on its rent and its royalty payments to Hasbro, and yeah, filed for bankruptcy after about three years. Yeah, I just yeah. I remember the the Transformers books were a big deal at the time because they like, I just remember looking at the covers. I was like, holy crap, these look awesome. These look so neat. And like I was just I because I I bought a lot of comics just for covers because I was just I'm uh, you know an art whore basically. So when I saw a lot of that stuff, I was like, "Oh, this is this speaks to me. I love this." <laughs> so, yeah, those yeah, those are those are some good times. Those are some good times for sure to be a Transformers fan. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. It's been doing the uh, we also did the encyclopedias. But we did a new Transformers universe. I mm-hmm. think it was we called it More Than Meets the Eye. That was a massive undertaking. Yeah, um, it was. We just did G one and like the original G one characters, and it was I think uh, eight sixty four page issues. There's so many little Transformers. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. Well, by that time, there were, yeah, for sure. The, the, the universe had been growing for quite a while at that point, yeah. But, yeah, it was super fun. Um, but after, after the company went under, I figured, uh, well, these guys, they learned their lesson. They really screwed up. Uh-huh. I'll work for them again at their new company. Because <laughs> 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 I, was, I was really, I was young. Like, oh, they, they messed up. That I guess that happens with your first company. You just, uh-huh. you just don't do it right. You'll so I worked for them. Right? They didn't really, I didn't really know all the details at the time, but they had before Dream went under, started a new company called Dream Engine, and transferred some assets to that and things like that. There was some some shenanigans going on, some, but some hokey um, pokey. Yeah, they as as someone who wasn't owed money from them after Dream went under, they asked me to work for them <laughs> because I was a, a in-house like employee. As, the Canadian labor laws is uh, the company director is actually personally liable for employee wages. So even though it was the company going under, they would still be, you know, held accountable if they hadn't paid their employees. Gotcha. So, so, so we were the in-house people actually got paid. Um, but so I worked for them again at this new company that started out just doing creative services and for other comma companies and some toys and things like that. And after like a year uh, of like, you know, with them being behind on payments and I just, like no, sorry, I quit. <laughs> I held their company laptop hostage until they paid me off what I was owed. Had all the files on it. And, um, <laughs> wow, uh, really? Yeah. Well, I just said like I basically said here, this is what I'm owed. Um, you can have your your laptop back when you give me my check. <laughs> right on. Man's got bills to pay, Scott. I'm yeah. Take care of um, business. I, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up getting paid in the end. Although I did once the company. 
once they paid me off, I'm like, okay, I'm all set. I told the two owners the things they told about each other behind their backs. <gasps> the company shut down after that. <laughs> oh, dang. There was a Canadian owner who was one of the Dreamwave guys and the, a Los Angeles owner. And the LA owner was kind of trying to move everybody over to LA to like work directly for them and, and, and inch oh. the other guy out. Uh, um, yeah. There you go. So that was really weird and awkward and, but anyway, it, uh, what? weird and awkward. Why would that be weird and awkward? That's just <laughs> people doing shady but, shit in business. That's what. Yeah, it's so odd. Yeah, I mean, I did a I did a few little graphic design jobs and things like that before I eventually started working at Udon. Right. Um, funny, actually, Udon is a company that grew out of Dreamwave. Uh, like all the original guys were Dreamwave guys who quit because they were before I even worked there. Before I even worked at Dreamwave. They quit because they were fed up with right. um, with either late payments or or other problems with the the guys. And uh, slowly, a lot of Udon, uh, Dreamwave people would would quit Dreamwave, and then they'd ask Udon like, "Can I have any work? I hear you guys are a lot better than Dreamwave." <laughs> so slowly, most of the Dreamwave people end up working for Udon. Okay. So I started at Udon as copy editor. My boss would write press releases that were a little bit Englishy. And so I would, <laughs> I would rewrite them. <laughs> Actually, his his wife kind of got annoyed at me at the first uh, holiday holiday uh, party for Udon that I was at, where we all like, because there's new people at the company, we all introduce ourselves what we're doing. And someone says, "Oh, I'm drawing this," and I I said, "Oh, hi, I'm Matt. I uh, fix Eric's English." <laughs> That's <Ooh>. my job. <laughs> but everybody everybody else thought it was funny, but. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> well, at, at the start of the show, you mentioned what your your current title is. Can you would you mind sharing that again, and then kind of explain what that means? Oh uh, yeah, currently I'm director of publishing, so I run most things on the publishing side. So I I oversee the artists on the and writers on the comics, uh, coming up with the writers with the uh, working with them to come up with the storylines, and then overseeing the art and the lettering and the coloring and. Uh, printing, getting everything done there, on uh, doing art books. Uh, sometimes I put together the art books myself, or sometimes I hire a graphic designer, or I might need a translator if it's a Japanese book that we're localizing. Right uh, on that side. So I like, I like to design some of them myself because it's fun to to be involved, uh, especially if it's something like an artist I really like. And for the manga, I'll manage the translators and letterers. So mostly getting, making sure things get done. I'm also working with Eric to you know decide on what our new projects are going to be uh eric co is the he's the original founder of udon and uh he these days he's got a lot to do so he doesn't he doesn't work as directly in in the production of the books as he used to so he mostly works on uh, licensing deals and uh arranging arranging new projects from japan like working with japanese publishers to see what we can what can what we would like to localize then he also manages the creative services division and the we have a new merchandise division that does pins and posters and t-shirts and things like that so he manages he manages that with uh long so this is this is something that I've, you just mentioned the pins thing i've noticed that's become yep. kind of really popular over like the last year or so like pins are are kind of becoming yeah the last couple now. years yeah it's gotten bigger marvel was always uh pretty marvel marvel the guys who kind of started it with their scotty young pins every year at san oh, diego right yeah and then Mondo started doing a lot of them as well, doing Marvel. Right. They do these cool, uh, like the old corner box headshots. Mm -hmm. they, like, uh, there's a guy named Tom Whalen who designs their pins yeah. to look like that. Yeah, and they, they actually, the, 
yeah the yeah oh yeah the uh the packaging <laughs> for them is uh like a, it, the packaging is a corner box they put yeah, the yeah. head on the on the page so that's yeah, cool really neat little um, things i like them yeah and then this really this year i noticed that san diego it was it exploded i don't i don't honestly i don't think it has more than a couple years left in it if it's getting this crazy yeah for sure. uh so there'll, there'll always be some people doing them but it's gonna i think it's gonna burst in a couple years yeah it's, it's the hot uh, new trend though i've been noticing like it, uh just just weird like i'll see it on twitter a lot now people are like who are uh, like have like etsy stores and they're generally like they're they're crafts people that make like plush and things like that even people like that are starting to do the pins the pins thing now but but I yeah, even at san diego there were a lot of unofficial pins like booths that that's all they do is sell unofficial pins of things oh, okay um like sometimes it'll be straight up you know just here's an unofficial rick and morty pin that right. i just made right. or sometimes they'd make uh you know it's mario riding on a delorean it's a parody see like that <laughs> Sure. Or the, or the Mario on, on Kaneda's bike from Akira, stuff like that. Yeah, that's become yeah. a thing. Just if you combine two things, it's parody, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> it's homage is what it is. I took yeah. the one thing that people like to throw their money at, and I took the other thing that people like to throw their money at, <laughs> and I put them together. So those two people will throw their money at me, right? There you go. It's like, ah, maybe this is a story? You kind of just put the things together. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't like actually that, do any just, work. You just got the profit off of it for somebody else's stuff. Yeah, not just the pins, but also like fan art prints and stuff. There's been really strong rumblings that a few of the big IP holders are going to be trying to make some changes. Because uh, <laughs> there are people who like like cra- trying to crack down on unofficial stuff more. Because there right. are people who that's become like they're not just a comic artist who goes to a show and and sells a few prints of Spider Man because they work on Spider Man. There are people who are have never been pros in the industry right. and they've made it into a business of just selling prints at shows like uh i'm not, I'm not gonna say who but there's i know a couple artists who you can just give us a uh, fake examples <laughs> if you want yeah I won't, I won't name names but there's a few artists who like they that's all they do is go to the conventions and sell prints but not only that but they send other people with their prints to other shows right. where they're not even attending oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. sell their prints there you go um which is going pretty far you're really turning it into a business yeah and by people cracking down i i'm assuming you're talking about disney because they're notorious about their their ip and and yeah they would be the the biggest because of course they've got marvel disney and star wars star wars yeah for sure man and you know what that that's always kind of a weird thing for me because like when i when i look at that i understand that they have to do this stuff legally to protect the ip but those things are really built on the backs like star wars especially man star wars probably wouldn't be would it, it well it absolutely wouldn't be what it is today without um without fans and fans. fan art and yeah. all, all the stuff that they produced over the decades so yeah but no it is it is kind of dicey and you're dealing it's... with something like that yourself right now where somebody was stealing some of your artwork and making t-shirts out of it aren't you right it was a month, yeah those right? were uh yeah, they were just uh, fan commissions I'd done for people. One of them was even a sketch. It wasn't even like a digital piece of artwork right. where somebody had taken a few pieces of my art and thrown them on one of those, uh, you know, just merchandise sites right. for cups and T-shirts and things and just thrown the artwork on there and, and was selling it. So I contacted the uh, the company and they, they shut it down after about a day, actually. Oh, they did? Oh, you got a resolution yeah. to it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So that's good. I mean, they have a... Most of these websites now have those standard forms. They don't, a lot of them don't make a effort themselves to weed out stuff very much, but right. uh, 
but if you contact them they'll take it down oh that's good that's really good okay so how long have you how long have you uh, been at udon for how long have you been working there uh, i've been at udon for uh, i think it's 11 years now oh really wow yeah so, so you like it there do you yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's great to have just one person above me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there you go. There's that. Um, yeah, so we're, and we do a lot of really cool stuff, but we are a small, like, tight company, and that's how we've been able to do a lot of things. Um, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of complicated arguments or approvals internally right. where we got to get everybody to have a say on this thing. Like, we can, we can do things quick. Like uh, even a few of the Japanese publishers are amazed. Like we, they wanted to have a. See, we uh, we we're, we're publishing this book called Infinity Force in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, which is a crossover of a bunch of Japanese animated superheroes like mm-hmm. uh, Gotcha Man and Tekkaman and Kasher oh, really? and things like that. Yeah. Nice. So they're all they're all properties from Tatsunoko Productions, the guys who make like Speed Racer. Right. 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 Um, so. Uh, we we licensed the book I think in uh, something like March or April, and there was a convention anime expo in the beginning of July that they wanted to know if we could have the book at the show premiere. So that's uh-huh. like three months away, and yeah, that's fucking we managed crazy. to get it done because we're just wow. a small little company and we can decide. <laughs> oh, let's focus on this, and we'll get some co- we'll get some copies ready and printed. And whereas a bigger company might be like, no, we have to. It takes like six to eight months to get a product published right. and to go yeah. through our whole system so so we can we can make some you know fast on the fly moves like that if we really want to oh, that's not too many cooks in the kitchen yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you keep it lean and you streamline everything now that's great that's actually pretty awesome because like you said there's like when you're dealing with a larger publisher like say like a marvel or somebody like that you're having to you're gonna have to deal with legal you have to clear this you gotta do that you gotta do the you know there's like a million fucking things that everybody's got to get their their finger into the pie so that's gotta that's gotta actually be pretty awesome though, working in that kind of atmosphere where it's where it's like where things can develop very quickly. That's gotta be that's gotta be pretty awesome though, isn't it? I mean like just from a from a creative standpoint. Um and, and I say this because I used to work in the news, I used to work for NBC and and it's kind of like that same dynamic is like well, maybe not exactly, but it's like you get a news piece and then you have to produce it real quick. You have to make graphics and you basically have like three or four hours to get the stuff on TV. So it's like, you're moving at a really quick pace. And it's for me, that was a lot of fun. So I can imagine doing what you're doing. I mean, granted we're, we're talking months, not hours, but still I can imagine that kind of dynamic is actually pretty exciting and pretty fun for, uh, for the creative process. Oh yeah. It's great. Actually, I missed, I would say, well, maybe not miss, but I, it was, it was fun back when we were even smaller and we were like working our butts off to get things done for every deadline and like t- pulling all nighters and like having a crazy deadline and, and being under the gun is like really motivating and satisfying after it's done. But I, I, I'm a, I, I sometimes miss those days, but I'm glad now that we have, we're a little better at things and we can, we can, <laughs> we can relax sometimes. <laughs> okay. No, um, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, all right. So this is, this is kind of a broad question and I guess, uh, as far as like your work history, like what has been, what has been your, your, your personal, like what is your greatest success so far? Like what is the thing, the thing that you're the proudest of that you've done? Oh, I mean, for myself, uh, and you can't say your kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There has to be a cat. He's only three. I haven't figured out how great, great she is yet. Okay. 
She hasn't proven her entire worth yet. <laughs> Give it a few more years. Okay, okay. But uh, I'm pretty, actually, I'm pretty proud of uh, the Street Fighter Encyclopedia myself. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, my first big writing project where uh, I did all the research of all the, going through all the Japanese uh, source books, video game endings, and talking with some of the actual Street Fighter creators to get like the backgrounds of all the characters mm-hmm. and uh, write it all up into like a nice nice character profile book. Um, we've done a few editions now. We're actually working on the third edition now since they've uh, added a whole bunch of characters in Street Fighter V. So that was pretty good. Um, I guess I, I'd also say uh, there's a webcomic I wrote called Bravo Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, so this was uh, Bandai Namco asked Udon to, to reinvent a bunch of their dead video game properties as webcomics. Um, they, just, they just wanted to see, like, oh, let's see if we can we can generate some interest. If any of them are really popular, maybe we'll make a video game or maybe we'll make something else into them. But let's see what you guys can do. And uh, I was, because I had already had some webcomic experience with Little Formers, I got asked to to uh, work on Bravo Man, which was it's kind of like Mega Man. He's actually from the same time. It was a TurboGrafx-16 game, and he's a superhero who can stretch his arms and can turn into a submarine for some reason. Uh, <laughs> he can turn into a submarine? Yeah. There's like, you, you get a platformer where you go through and you stretch your arms and punch guys or he has stretchy legs or he has a stretchy neck to do headbutts. And then every couple levels, there's an interlude where you turn into a submarine and it becomes a side, uh, side-scrolling shooter. Okay. <laughs> so he identifies as both a problem man and a submarine. Yeah. <laughs> but not an attack helicopter. Not... Maybe if there was a sequel, that would have happened. But, <laughs> but uh, it was just this one TurboGrafx-16 game that happened in the late 80s. Yeah. And so they're like, make something out of this. So I turned it into like a super self-aware webcomic where he knows he's a... He understands that he's in a webcomic uh-huh. uh, and that he's a video game character. And so that gave me a lot of leeway to do a lot of fun comedy stuff. Like at the beginning, I'd do things like uh, he's fighting a villain who has shields who's uh who he can't get any hits on so he he but the shields are only on the front so he reaches across the panel and hits the the guy in the next panel from behind (laughs) (laughs) so yeah or we had one where their their budget was cut so they they lost their color (laughs) and then (laughs) they lost their anchor um things like that Uh so it was a really fun comic was it eventually turned into Uh, a cartoon yeah, so we did uh, 300 strips oh, wow. and over two years, and uh, we did. Eventually, they wanted to also try doing a yeah animated version, and they went all out with the budget for that. It was crazy. It was the they hired the the same guys who animated Teen Titans, <laughs> and oh, right. uh, uh, well, they were working on Teen Titans Go at the time. At the same time, they hired professional voice actors. Like yeah. so Rob Paulson was the voice of Bravo Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No shit. Um, who That's is like Bradley crazy. Baker? Yeah, D. Bradley Baker, Jennifer Hale, Jennifer Hale, and uh, uh, Romy Dames, who was not who's not as well known at the time for her voice acting. She's from she's on like Winx Club now. She's uh she's a lot. What's her name? Lana Luther, I think her name is the the Lex Luthor's sister on the like DC superhero girl show. But yeah, that was really cool being part of the voice acting sessions with those guys. Um, they're always on. Oh, so you actually got to oh, you were actually there for the production of the show too. They didn't just yeah. like they didn't just like license it out from you and then like dip out and go do it. You actually No, you I got to write ten of the twelve uh like five minute episodes that we made. 
Nice. Uh, some of them were adapted from from the webcomic, and some of them were totally original things. Since we're we're animated now, we can try mm-hmm. something different. And so it yeah, kind of wouldn't make sense the... to have someone punch through a panel in a comic. Yeah. So we'd have different <laughs> jokes. Like there's a there's a joke where. Was it Brownman gets punched in the stomach and he goes, "Oh, he got me right in the voice actor," and then it cuts away to like <laughs> the the voice acting room and Rob Paulson is there like keeled over in the, in the voice acting room. <laughs> and oh, uh, gosh, that's great. Yeah. So and that and and uh, that's nice. We set so we set that up that like they know the they know the voice actors. So by the and this this particular villain's thing was he was a uh, he's a heavy metal. Uh, cyborg. So he has like a guitar as his weapon, and nice. uh, there's always this music that plays when he attacks. And Bravman figures out that his his strength comes from his music. So he calls up Rob Paulson and says, "Like, like, go into go to the talk to the sound guys and fire all the music people. That'll like deep, <laughs> that'll depower this this villain bit I'm fighting right now." Um, oh, that's great! Oh so my gosh, that's awesome. fun stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those those voice acting sessions are great because those guys are always on. <laughs> they're nice. always making jokes sometimes off-color jokes but <laughs> oh yeah have you ever heard any of the um, old casey case recording sessions like the behind the scenes stuff when he was oh doing... no i haven't <gasps> i've heard some of the thundercats oh. ones <laughs> oh yeah no the thundercats ones are great yeah look up the casey case stuff too he gets real lewd he's like doing shaggy <laughs> voices and it's just like oh boy it's it's a thing <laughs> i think the best uh when you know you've written a good joke for a cartoon is when the sound guys laugh yeah, like the recording guys, because it's kind of like their job to not make any noise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when they laugh, like yeah, I got a really good one there. <laughs> nice. It's it's like those um those guards yeah, outside no. the London Palace. London Palace <laughs> yeah. The beef eaters, I think they're called. Is that what it is? I I don't know, but it's, it's like hats. those guys cracking cracking us. Yeah, them cracking a smile. It's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But so that was really fun. Um. They also they also made Bravo Man into a new iOS video game. Wasn't very good. No, no, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's kind of the end of that project. Like they made it into a video game, and the video game didn't do good. So, okay. uh, well, <laughs> I guess our end goal didn't, didn't work out. So, first oh. thing that, that tried to make money. No, but nothing it was really fun. Nothing game. Um, that's pretty we, awesome, we, though. Yeah, we collected Bravo Man as a book. So I'm really happy to have that book. How different is it working in an entertainment industry than you might have thought it would be? I mean, because you've worked in so many, so it's maybe it's kind of hard <laughs> to pick it apart. Oh, it was weird. Well, I'll try to think. I definitely thought it would be companies were like bigger and like more, that sounds bad, like more organized, more like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's a lot more flying by the seat of your pants than I would expect at mm-hmm. all sizes of companies. <laughs> okay. Like even at a video game company, they might still be finishing the game like a month before it comes out, and they have to go press oh, CDs in a week. You know, right. <laughs> Matt, I I can tell you from my experiences in QA, there was so much flying by the seat of your pants in game design. I mean, in in, in the game industry. So, yeah, I mean, you you probably know now, but it's just it's absurd the levels. Like, how do you guys get paid this much? But you you're like. <laughs> how yeah and now it's it's only gotten worse now that there's always the possibility of patches and updates mm-hmm. um, we're pretty sure that there are no bugs in this it's not 95 sure that's good enough let's go i, <laughs> I won't it. name the company but i did work one time at a place and they're like ah we'll fix it in the patch and these were like really bad bugs and they're like yeah no, we'll fix it in patch it's like what 
you're shipping this with this big error in it? Just yeah, no, it's wow. <laughs> now on our end, we work in publishing, so we don't really have that. It would be nice to have that sometimes. Oh yeah, <laughs> we do have the chance to fix things when we do, uh, like in the comics, we do we have a chance to fix things in the trade paperback. Hmm. But uh, so we got to try our best to not have any mistakes. Well, do you guys do digital release as well? Yeah, we do digital releases on Comicsology for most of our comics. Uh, okay. Some of our some of our art books we've tried. People aren't as into buying the expensive art books digitally. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, this is the way it is for most people with digital comics right now. But it's like it's just barely worth it to <laughs> to do it right. to make the effort to do it. Nobody's really getting rich off digital comics. Well, yeah. um, but but there's no reason like the amount of money we get. Okay, it's it's worth the effort to do the work to make a digital version, right. export it the right way, and things like that. So we'll always we'll keep doing it. How do you how do you see uh, how are your publishing numbers? Just uh, just as a quick aside before we get into the lightning round. Um, like, <laughs> well, the, how does how, does, how is the publishing everything. doing for you guys? Like I mean, uh, obviously like the company's still there. So yeah. Okay, art books are our bread and butter for sure. Okay. Um, because of the price point versus the amount of effort you have to do put into them, especially for localized art books. Manga is okay. And then comics is, it's always been it's the most expensive thing to produce for the least return. But we do it because we really like doing comics. And it's a, it's more of a long-term game with comics. Like if we were just publishing floppy comics, then we wouldn't do them. Right. <laughs> like it's not worth it to just do that. Uh, but you know, because we have a trade paperback coming later, and maybe a hardcover collection of multiple trade paperbacks because we have the digital sales, uh, because we can license some of the content in different ways because of our arrangement with Capcom. So we can, we've licensed some of the artwork to uh, the people who make the card game for Street Fighter. We're right now licensing uh, the comics to some different countries to publish them in different languages. Oh, okay. So you need kind of all these things to make it work right besides just it being fun <laughs> right it's a lot and of good insights yeah well and and one of the things i wanted to ask too is like um and this is something that i've garnered over the years having known people that worked in comics or having spoken to people like yourself uh, and a lot of people don't realize it and you would you had said something earlier this week on twitter that you were talking about the visible women in comics tag and you made a comment about like maybe I th- I, forgive me if I'm if I'm butchering the tweet, but I'm paraphrasing here. I think you. Well, I can t- I can tell you what it was. I just said something like, "Well, maybe a lot of these great women artists aren't working in comics because they're smart. Because comics yeah. is really hard to make <laughs> yeah, a yeah. career in. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was <laughs> it's not that at. hard to get a job in comics. It's really hard to make your living in comics. Though. Right, right. Because a lot of people don't know that it's like I, I hate to use this terminology, but in, in it's like I've heard it equated to slave labor in 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 certain discussions. And how accurate would you say that is? Uh, I mean, there 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 are companies where it could be. Uh, we we we're kind of known for having good rates. I think at Udon, because um, people keep wanting to work for us. Uh, <laughs> but even us, like, I don't know how some of these guys keep keep themselves going. If we can, like, because you can only as an artist, you can only produce so much. Right. And and uh, if if you're you're only you're doing say even if you're doing a whole comic a month, it's not a great income. Like if you're saying, I mean, we have we have a range of like page rates. Let's say you're making I don't know for full color art. Let's say you're doing like four hundred dollars a page. Okay. Uh, and it might so if you're doing the whole color art yourself, and that's that's a pretty good rate. That's one of that's like the higher end even for us. But uh, if you're that, that might take you a month and a half to do the art and the colors. Uh, you know, making 
eight grand an issue times uh, six issues in a year that you can do. Like that's that's almost fifty thousand dollars, but that's like no, not very many people can do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make that much content. Yeah, it's like um, trying to just trying to, to actually to your desk. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say it's like actually trying to like sleep or have a life outside of doing that would be yeah. pretty pretty hard. And plus, I mean, it's not like most artists don't have like a regular workload. They don't have a consistent workload. They'll do a right. four issue comic series and then they might be have nothing to do for three months trying to find little jobs and right. things like that. So I don't know how a lot of these guys make it work. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, like I said, I've had some friends that had dabbled in comics, and they're like, it's just, it's fucking hard, man. It's not anything you want to do, really, unless you like, unless you absolutely love it, and you can't see a life not doing it. Like, it's just, it's a lot of fucking work. So, no, yeah, I've, I've, it's, it's, it's neat to hear people's perspectives that work in the industry, though, about these kind of things, because I don't think a lot of people understand the kind of, the kind of intensive labor that goes into making a comic. Like, it's. It's a lot of work. It's a whole lot of work. So, hey, you're an artist. Can't you just like draw me a picture real quick? I'll tell everyone you did it. Like, why are you going to be selfish with your art abilities? <laughs> it's just you. Just you can just do it really quick. It's just, I mean, it's right. It's so easy for you. I say this uh, to someone who's heard that personally. <laughs> I've I've heard that from people. It's like it's like, well, if it was so easy, why aren't you doing it? Right. Well, there's that. Uh, I forget whose comic it is. They made the comic like it's it's not that it yeah, it only took me five minutes to draw this, but it took me twenty years to get good enough to draw it in five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've I've had that conversation too because I used to I used to own my own store where I sold kits, like toy kits that I made. And people were like, Well, can like it's like, Well, why does it cost so much? I was like, Because that's what I want to charge for it. And they're like, Why are you charging that much? I'm like, Well, because I've spent literally my entire life learning the skill set that I have to be able to do this, and I think it's a fair value for the for the for the time that I put into making this thing. I think that is a fair value, and people don't understand that. They're like, it's like you said, it's like you. It only took five minutes, but you know, it it took your whole life to get to that point, and folks don't don't really get that. And I think that like like it's funny you see that you see that meme pop up on Twitter quite often where an artist will post something like that. It's just like, yeah, why can't you just do it for free? <laughs> because I've spent a lot of time and effort on learning how to do these things, and you don't go into a McDonald's and just say, "Hey, just give it to me for free," you know. So, but, yeah. yeah, you're so good at making hamburgers. Just give me one. Yeah, <laughs> good to, yeah. You're really you go. good at lawyering. Can't you just like do this pro bono? Yeah, yeah lawyering. <laughs> is that a thing? Lawyering? I think it is. Oh man! All right, Matt. So. Hey. I think it is time for the lightning round. Are, are you ready for the lightning round? Okay, sure. Here we go. Matt Moylan, it is time for the lightning round. You are the first participant in this particular event because I don't think we could have done this with anybody else actually until this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so lucky you. All right. Question number one, favorite Autobot. Uh, well, I was going to say Decepticon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I fail my Transformers knowledge. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think Ultra Magnus. Ultra Magnus. All right. Favorite Decepticon? Uh, Shockwave. Favorite Headmaster? Oh, uh, yeah. Hardhead. He's the oh. only one I actually, he's the only good guy Headmaster I had. Okay. Favorite Combiner set? Oh, Devastator. Devastator's really? the original, the best. I was going to say, you're going with the, you're going with the, uh, the groundbreaking one, huh? The one that started it all off, huh? Okay. Yeah. All right, favorite seeker, favorite original seeker, uh, Skywarp. There you go, teleporter. There you go. That's my boy. 
favorite pretender? Oh, I don't really know the pretenders as well. Okay. Um, I'll well, we oh, skip that. Octo Punch has the coolest name. Okay. <laughs> See, I was I was always a Skullgrin fan myself, but that's just me. <laughs> favorite cassette? Uh, Rumble, and he's okay. blue. And he's <laughs> wait, wait, no, no, that's Frenzy. What are you talking? <laughs> no, about? Rumble's blue. Rumble's, Rumble's not blue. blue. He's Frenzy. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Most people don't know that. But anyway, um, favorite Dinobot? Uh, Slag, because I actually had him. He's the only nice. Dinobot I had. That's the one I like, too. Uh, if you could invent a Dinobot, what would it be? Uh, oh, I'd, I had the urge to say the cheesy one was a Velociraptor. Everybody says that. Yeah. Um, I'd, uh, Pachycephalosaurus, because also has a cool name. Okay, and you can actually say that. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, so that's the one with. Uh, do you know which one? That's the guy with the like round head, like they like bump heads with each other and directly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the dome on his. Oh head, no, basically. it's a little dome. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. helmet. He has a helmet in his head. All right. Yeah. Uh, worst overall Transformers character. Uh, worst character. Yeah, who's who's the worst uh... character? Like, what do you like? Like, if you had to make a book and somebody said, "Hey, we're gonna have this guy in there," you're like, "Oh, do we have to?" <laughs> um, I don't know. In my comic, I always make fun of Sea Spray. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I was gonna say Sea Spray, <laughs> but I tend to I like him now because, <laughs> but, but uh, right. you know, he's the Aquaman of the Transformers. Uh, very quite literally. <laughs> so I was like, quite oh, literally. <laughs> oh, a water mission, a water mission. I can go on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, and the final, the final question of the lightning round is, what is your favorite GoBot? Oh, Smallfoot. Wrong. That was a trick question. The GoBots are all terrible, and you're bad for liking them. Anyway, Matt Boylan, (laughs) thank you for engaging in the first ever lightning round. We appreciate it, sir. And thank you very much for being on Entertaining Guests. So uh, yeah, no the, the history of the GoBots is interesting. We can talk about that another time. <laughs> it's complicated. Uh, yeah, it is. It really is, actually. I just want to say, as an aside, I didn't know what most of any of what you guys just said meant. <laughs> <laughs> but I went and googled sea spray. That dude so goofy. <laughs> Mark, Google craft. Google yes. Cosmo. Google Cosmo now. Oh my! Oh, and he's look, even and- worse. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not even gonna mute myself as I as I type because I want to see what this guy looks yeah, like. Let's get your reaction, oh, to Cosmo. Wow! <laughs> wow! What what does he turn into? A trash flying cat? saucer. Flying saucer. Flying saucer. <laughs> oh my! He was really weird in that air. Like everybody was realistic, ve- like some kind of realistic vehicle. He's yeah. like flying saucer. <laughs> yeah, he, okay? was, he was a bit of an outlier. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh man! All right, well, he looks Matt, really goofy, and he sounded like Igor or something. <laughs> oh, that's right, he did have a goofy ass voice, didn't he? He's supposed to sound that. like some—I oh, forget which actor—but um, yeah, he had this like Transylvanian accent. Yeah, kind of like some weird Bella Lugosi thing going on. Bella Lugosi—that's what. It is. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, that was so strange. Oh my gosh. Anyway, though. Oh man! All right, well, she called rap, Scott. Let us let us call it a wrap, and thank you again, Mr. Moylan, for joining us. Um, Thanks, Matt. Where can people find you on the internet machine if they are so uh, so inclined to do so? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lil Formers, like L I L F O R M E R S, or just search my name, and it'll probably come up with me. There's a there's an Australian rugby player of the same name, but he just got rid of his Twitter. So oh, well, there you go. Right <laughs> so on. that's good nice. for me. Um, 
uh, or lilformers.com or uh, udonentertainment.com is our mm-hmm. company website where we show everything. And on most social media, we're udonent, like udon, udon ent. Cool. Well, again, sir, thank you for stopping by and sharing your time with us. We really appreciate having you on. And we will bid you a good afternoon. Great. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed this episode of Entertaining Guests, please like, subscribe, and share links to our show on places like Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, and other social media sites you enjoy. Every week, Big and Robot strives to bring you entertaining and insightful content which can be enjoyed on a variety of platforms. From SoundCloud to iTunes, vid.me to YouTube, there are many different ways to connect with our content. If you enjoy our content and would like to support Big and Robot, consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. You'll find links to our Patreon page in the description below. Have a question, comment, or business inquiry? Check below for links to our social media accounts as well as our email address where you can contact us directly. Thanks again for stopping by, and we'll see you next time.